Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 328 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode I chat to Corey and Laurie Ann Cole of Trans Solo Games about the action-adventure RPG Hero U Rogue to Redemption. Now, if you're familiar with the Coles, then you may know that they've made a lot of other games over the last 20, maybe even 30 years. Their dates back to 1989, and they made Space Quest 3 for Sierra Online, as they were known back in the day on the Atari ST. This is a great, great machine. Got a lot of time for that machine and uh, a lot of time for the Coles. Lovely people. Really, really enthusiastic. Even despite all the years they've been working in the video game industry, they still have an enthusiasm for the medium, which is wonderful to listen to and hear and encouraging to see. And Hero U Rogue to Redemption is a unique take on the adventure games they've been making for so many years. And it's definitely an update and uh, changes the way in which games are portrayed of this form, of this type. I'm rambling, aren't I? You want me to stop and listen to me talk to the, the lovely Coles? Well, that's fair, because I think I should stop. So, Chris, could you... Get us out of this hole, please, and please do your thing. Great. Corey and Laurie, who are you and what do you do? 
Well, Lori, uh, Lori was a mild-mannered uh, school teacher when I met her, uh, working on an Indian reservation in uh, Arizona. And I was a uh, programmer in Los Angeles. And we met at a uh, science fiction convention, uh, WesterCon in uh, San Francisco, where we both were for odd reasons. Yes. So uh, we're game designers, basically. Yes. You uh, are. Yeah, we, we spent our entire lives learning to be game designers without knowing there was such a thing. Uh, <laughs> so From I've... a theater arts background in art and writing for me and uh, computer programming for Corey and a um, whole lot of playing of games over the years. Yeah, we both got into uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, uh, in the long time ago. Uh, yes. when it was young, uh, and uh, I was on a system called Plato at the University of Illinois that was a um, uh, computer-assisted instruction system, and as everyone knows, the things that are good for teaching were also really good for gaming. Um, the thing with I found by coming to computer games is that it awakened a, a, a whole thing, a whole part of me that said, okay, we are allowed to make mistakes. Computer games will teach you that a mistake is not the end. Oh, it might kill your character off, but you could start the game over again and keep going. And so it instilled in me um, a more risk-taking than I ever would have had in the past because I was afraid of making mistakes or being silly or something like that. And computer games allow you to um, teach yourself that these are not problems, that you can easily get over them. Yeah, it's been uh, kind of fun, actually, watching things like the uh, World First races on uh, uh, World of Warcraft uh, raiding, uh, where uh, they'll say, okay, this is uh, poll number 286, and the idea that people would uh, keep playing uh, after failing 285 times, and then maybe they get it, or maybe they go on for another 500. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would like to point out to our dear listeners that the guest mentioned World of Warcraft, not me, so you can't take a drink. Put it down. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have a personal experience with World of Warcraft. I do make reference to it because it, oh. it is an extraordinary game. We can't deny it. It's a thing that exists and existed. And for me, one of my favourite gaming memories, if I may share, is taking down Nefarian. After try two hundred and plus, you know, with with this this is at a time when there were forty players in a raid, not twenty five. So, you know, thirty nine other like minded individuals all going for the same goal, just just trying to kill a very large dragon in a very strange way. I seem to remember. Or trying not to get killed, mostly just yeah. trying not to die. Not yeah. to die. And, and this was quite a change from our uh, Dungeons and Dragons tabletop experience, where we were used to. Uh, uh, you know, characters. Uh, uh, you know, if a character died, it was it was a big deal. Uh, it was a uh, you know, we either could not get them resurrected, or it was very difficult. Uh, often, we had to go on a quest to get a resurrection, uh, and it's a it's a very different experience. Uh, the the consequences are lighter on uh, uh, computer gaming. You can save your game and come back. Yeah, yeah, scum saving. I think people call it. It's a horrible phrase, but they do. So I think yeah. you've, you've delved into this this next question I have for you uh, a little bit, which is quite common for guests, because when I ask them who they are and what they do, they generally go to their backstory as well, which is cool. Um, 
but I'm going to ask you this formally and see if you've got a, an answer for me. I suspect it's a good and very interesting and long one, but you've already hinted at it. But uh, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? We were lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's really what most of it comes down to. It's connections and luck. Uh, in this case, uh, we had someone that we had met uh, while doing folk singing, which is a uh, uh, science fiction themed uh, folk singing at uh, uh, conventions uh, named Carly Hawk's daughter. And she was an animator who was working for Sierra Online uh, and uh, did the animation for King's Quest IV, uh, uh, the uh, Rosella game. I don't know the actual title. <laughs> and uh, she called me up uh, 10 o'clock one night or 11 or midnight because we're up all night. Um, and I uh, said, uh, hey, uh, Ken Williams, uh, who runs Sierra, is looking for uh, an expert, uh, uh, you know, published, uh, award-winning uh, dungeon, ma dungeon master. And they said, well, that doesn't make any sense. And we laughed at it and said, well, but, but maybe it does make sense because uh, I once published a module called Tower of Indomitable Circumstance. Uh, and I once uh, won a uh, uh, a game that was a contest style game at uh, at Gen Con, so therefore I was uh, you know prize winning. And uh, Lori, uh, I'm a game designer. We have been trying to get into making games for a while. Mm. It's not mm. like this was totally out of the blue. We had applied at different. Well, Corey had applied because I'm not a programmer. I'm just a writer. But I did uh, do, submit some game proposals to various computer game companies or at that time, video arcade game yeah, companies. Yeah, we, we were working on a, a fantasy role-playing, you know, tabletop D&D style role-playing game for stand-up arcade machines uh, and had done a proposal and preliminary design for uh, that. Uh, and eventually decided that was just uh, too much for the circuitry. But it was the luck of knowing somebody from somebody, some some other genre that got us into gaming. And it's really, uh, you know, all about the connections. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That and then someone made Gauntlet. So. <laughs> That's <laughs> which, right. Yeah, which yeah, so I know is not an RPG. It's just this weird, what is it? It's like Pac-Man with elves. <laughs> well, that's probably we probably would not have done a whole lot more than that at the time. Yeah, there's not much you can do. There isn't no, but it's, it was. I mean, it was, it was one of my favourites because um, we 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 we're going to talk about well, you're about to sort of embark on what kind of what titles because I know what titles you made, but do you want to expand on some of the audience may not be familiar with your your previous. Yeah, and and so. actually, I was just going to say that uh, the major difference between what we do in a game like. Gauntlet is that we use words. Indeed. A lot of them. <laughs> well, there was words, you know. Red Warrior shot the food. Yeah. That's yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> over and over again, over. yes. Red no, Wizard no, needs food. Badly. Badly, yeah. Uh, that so, uh, yeah, we started out once we got into Sierra and uh, they wanted a, a role-playing game because they had published, I think, Ultima 2 uh, and they wanted something like Ultima and we looked at their tools because I started out, my first job at Sierra was as a systems programmer working on uh, their gaming system. And I said, you know, these tools aren't right for making a game like Ultima. Uh, you know, you guys are really specialists in making these, uh, you know, beautiful, lush, immersive adventure games. Uh, and, I, and I'm getting around to the answer to your question. <laughs> Um, That's all right. It's fantastic. Uh, but, but little, little, you know, characters moving around, uh, you know, and uh, 
uh, you know, the, the role-playing stuff, that's not what you're good at. You're good at adventure games. So we said, why don't we make a hybrid? Uh, we'll make a game that is a Sierra adventure game, but it's also a role-playing game from the way we think of it from tabletop, that it has uh, character stats and that your character develops and grows during the course of the game from uh, being very weak to becoming much stronger by the end of the game. And we call that game Hero's Quest. So you want to be a hero. Uh, and that eventually got retitled to Quest for Glory, but uh, you know that was the that was the start of it. Mm. And no, speaking for myself, at the time that the, you reached that sort of because this is like late eighties, early nineties, was it not? Uh, yes, this is uh, eighty eight is when I started. Eighty nine is when our first game came out. Wow! So yeah, quick turnaround back in those days to a point. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> every every all the first four or five games we made uh, were done in less than a year. And wow. looking back at them, looking back at them, that was clearly impossible. Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, I mean, at the time, I was deeply into my Amiga. I didn't change over until '94, I think. Fairly, fairly typical for British people and the Europeans that we were just using Amigas and, and Atari STs to do our computer gaming with. So, well, well I'm, large, I'm largely responsible for your play then, because as I said, my first job was uh, taking Sierra's SCI uh, uh, game development and uh, runtime system, and that was for the uh, uh, Windows PC, and converting that to work on the Atari ST. Yeah. And then an intern came in and took my code from the Atari ST and used that to make it run on the Amiga. Yeah. Uh, so the same process. So yes, I'm, I'm responsible for I'm, I'm responsible for all your Amiga games yeah, indirectly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought, the Sierra ones. Yeah, the Sierra ones. Thank you very much because they were just so different to what was being produced in Europe. But it's not, and rightly so because uh, I just find it fascinating how North American video game development wasn't in the same as the European, nor should it. It was just like we were doing our own thing for so long and it didn't converge until the mid-90s when the, uh, the, the 8-bit and 16-bit machines fell away. You know, the weird, you know, I say weird ones, like we had the Spectrum, we had the BBC Micro, and then we had the, you know, the Archimedes and the Amigas and the STs, and then they just fell. They just all, and, and the Sinclair. And the, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, big big fan. Uh, and uh, despite its its lack of power and almost lack of, you know, it's it's still an extraordinary machine. But it just, it, I think I blame lots of things. There's lots of failures of those machines that, that everything converged around then the Mac and, and the PC, and also PlayStation, the rival of PlayStation as well, that also helped basically merge everyone and go, look, can we just all be the same now? So, oh, fine. <laughs> and that's what happened. Well, in the, in the uh, late 70s, I had a uh, Commodore PET uh, computer that I bought secondhand. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, $600 used, uh, and that had 8K of memory. Uh, it had no hard drive. Yeah. Uh, it had a uh, cassette tape uh, for yeah. uh, reading programs uh, into that 8K of memory. Everything had to fit. Yeah. And people did some amazingly creative and uh, good stuff on there. But you have a you know a certain sensibility when you're in a very restrictive machine like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, like the BBC Micro and so on that uh, you don't have much memory to play with. And so you make games appropriate to that. You do. Um, um, unless you're a strange mathematical genius and didn't make Elite. <laughs> I just Indeed. love, yeah, I just love the story. But oh, I'll just create, you know, let, let the machine make the content. You're insane. No, 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 it's fine. 
And lo and behold, that's what they did. And, and still one of my favourite games of all time is Elite. And it came on 22 kilobytes. 22. Well, that's it. That's that's exactly what we were told about Heroes Quest. They said you're insane. You yes. you can't possibly make a game that you can play separately with a you know a variance in the storyline for fighter, magic user, and yeah. thief, and then yeah. later added paladin, uh, and putting a, a role playing game on top of an adventure game in, engine. They said you know you, you got a ten year project there. You know you can't do this in a year. And um, if you asked me today, I'd say you're right. You know. Yeah. Probably take me uh, uh, two years, and then it would actually take me five or ten. Yes. yes. <laughs> but we didn't know our limitations. We didn't know what we were doing. We were, you know, we came in there and basically were said, do this. And so we did. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, some other things we've done is uh, I designed a game called Castle of Dr. Brain, which was uh, an educational uh, puzzle and logic uh, game. Uh, Lori did one called Mixed Up Fairy Tales. Uh, which was a uh, children's uh, early uh, early readers uh, uh, game. Uh, the two of us collaborated on uh, uh, Shannara, which was a uh, adventure game with a little bit of role playing uh, based on Terry Brooks' sort of Shannara. Um, and lately, we got back into it about ten years ago. Um, actually, twenty twelve, uh, we got back in with a Kickstarter for a thing called Hero You Rogue to Redemption. Uh, which is another role-playing uh, adventure game and uh, along the lines of Heroes Quest, but in a new uh, setting. So yeah. we have been making games for over 30 years. Wow. Yikes. Computer games. Yeah. Half our life. Yeah. I, I must confess, I mean, I remember still playing my first, my first, if I may share my experiences. I still remember playing Pong in 1976. And I had to be put on a box, to, to sit on a box. I could reach the uh, dials. With my brother, who's slightly taller than I, and uh, I don't remember playing the actual game or how well I did or not, as the case may be, because I was quite young. But I just remember marvelling at the fact that I could alter things on the screen of a television without just passively drinking it in, and that was the mm -hmm. road to to where I am now, where I'm now playing a, a Viking in ninth-century England, chopping people's heads off. Um, in, uh, in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but you know it's still, it's still you know, and going from that to that, and it's still, it's still drawn to that concept of games, and it, it sounds like you've sort of gone a similar journey. Like it's games, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's the it, it, the the times change and the technology progresses ever more and continues to do so, but it's still you know when it comes down to it, it's still a a, a construct in which you engage with it and uh, you can um, pass or fail it or do good at it or do not so good, and that's fine. But it's just the the, it's the thrill of the challenge and the experience of well, that it gives. It was actually the fact that, you know, coming from a role-playing background of Dungeons & Dragons, when we first were starting to play role-playing games on the computer, they were so limited. Mm. All they were was hack and slash and that was you know they had some dressing of a story like the ultima games you had some progression in it but they did not tell a story they were not about what a dungeon and dragons game is all about the thrill of being a character in this environment in the immersion and so that frustration we had with computer games was what we wanted to overcome by doing it ourselves 
Yeah, and I used to say that uh, the reason that uh, you know computer games developed in two directions, which was the adventure game, it was all story and exploration, mm. and the role playing game that also had exploration, but was you know more about the uh, combat and uh, uh, character uh, development, uh, was just that the computers, as you said, didn't have enough memory. Uh, you couldn't fit all those things into one computer. So we feel like. Uh, uh, at the end of the 80s, that we got into the industry just at the time when computers were just then becoming powerful enough to handle both in one game. And we said, well, you know, we've got to bring these things together. Yeah. You, you don't have a, a, a real fantasy role-playing game unless you have both yeah. uh, story and dialogue and characters, as well as, uh, you know, the exciting parts of the, you know, the, con uh, the combat and, uh, and the skill use. It was really an important even... time true because you got dungeon master arriving on the st and that was like oh, that's what they're supposed oh, to that's be exactly like. how we felt we loved dungeon master that was uh that was just an amazing amazing game and of course yeah. that came on a floppy disk yeah <laughs> that, is, that is just so unbelievable and amazing uh you know even at the time yeah. but our first computer game did not come on one floppy disk it, it came on a on a mainframe. Actually, we were accessing remotely. Was that uh, Rogue? <laughs> no, no, oh. no. Our computer. Oh, ours. Yes. Oh, yes. God. Yes. yes. No. Heroes Quest was uh, eight or nine uh, floppy disks uh, in the package, and Sierra was used to shipping games on two or three. Uh, I think we had a budget of six, uh, and which we exceeded. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was a, it was really quite a large game and. Back then, uh, not everybody had hard drives. Some people actually had to, when they were playing the game, constantly swap out floppies to the one uh, for the next section they were on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Similar, almost unplayable. <laughs> well, yep, yep. Yeah, I, Modern standards, anyway, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. So, my next question for you, and I think we've definitely covered your, your storied history, which is good that we expand on that. And we could go on about... You know, Laurie, you were mentioning about role-playing games. They're not simply about punching things in the face. You're right, they're not. Uh, and speaking to someone who plays a lot of pen and paper RPGs, I completely relate to that statement. That Yeah, they're really not. That's just the side bit. The real bit is, it's the people. It's the people, damn it. It's the, that's what it's about, <laughs> how they interact with the world and each other. That's the point of them. The, the, the combat and stuff like that is a side point. What's really going on is how they're dealing with it. But that aside, and I think I know the answer to this question as well, but it sounds like we need to flesh it out too. And it's something I always ask every guest is, as creators of things, which you are, what do you believe are your biggest influences? Uh, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I mean, even going back to childhood, uh, board games and such, we didn't, we didn't have video games uh, back then. Uh, you know, get off my lawn. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were always gaming. Um, and Laurie, uh, Laurie is an artist and a writer. And we were always reading. So of course, books and things like that. And, you know, everybody's movies that we all watched at the time. All of these things is, you know, come together when you design games. I mean, I even had drama classes in high school and that. And all of the stage design, these things all coalesce and there's synergy with them all to create games. And so therefore it was like, 
uh, our entire past was building up to be a game designer. Uh, we, of course, have to give a shout out to Sir Terry Pratchett because uh, his uh, amazing books uh, told us that you can have a, a real meaningful story and lots of puns and word plays and silliness at the same time. And uh, Piers Anthony also did that with his uh, Xanth books. Uh, so, uh, you know, we had a, you know, kind of a very varied thing where there was, you know, heroic stuff, but also uh, humor and, and comedy uh, that we loved. Uh, I had a, a great dungeon master in Chicago when I was first starting the game and, and uh, who, you know, taught me that the game didn't have to all be all, all about hack and slash. So I was going to say in D&D games, you know, they're, they're all over the place. There are a lot of them that are strictly combat oriented games. And that's the same with, uh, you know, modern MMOs, uh, same thing uh, uh, that, you know, some people are out, out there just to hack monsters and other people really care about the quests and the storylines. Yeah. So we like to have both. Indeed. And you do. And I, I thank you for that. And uh, good, good nod to Mr. Well, Sir Pratchett, Terry Pratchett, sadly no longer with us, but uh, to him to create death as someone you can relate to because no one considered the fact that wait, Death's just the civil servant. Yes, <laughs> that's all he ever. Yeah, it's, that's how he treated. He's just doing his job. He's not evil or bad. Death's is a natural part of life, and that's he showed up and go hello. <laughs> you know, I never never forget reading Terry Pratchett books, and he always looking for those caps. Like oh, Death's coming up in a minute. Someone's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the keys to good writing. Uh, is uh, uh, I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry, here we have here. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah it's, oh, it's to look at the world in unusual ways. Yes, uh, and that's uh, you know I'm I'm renowned for you know making jokes and punning uh, on anything, and a lot of that comes from sort of a uh, uh, a kind of uh, mental dyslexia where uh, I'll read a sign and I don't read what's actually there. I will read something close to what's there and say. And a second later, I'll get what it really was. But then I'll say, well, what if it really, you know, did say rather than uh, uh, dry goods store, uh, you know, guy dude store. OK, you know, what would that mean? What would they sell there? Uh, and, you know, my, I go through life this way. Is that I, I don't see things as they are, but it's what they might be. That's, that's a brilliant. brilliant is, is that how you do it, Laurie? <laughs> <laughs> It's, Not exactly. She's uh, chuckling at my, uh, fa fa you know, strangeness. Yes. <laughs> yeah, looking at the world in a different set of lenses is perfectly fine and a great way to, to try to reproduce a, a universe or recreate something like, well, what if the world really was like this? What would happen? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, in the case of Dungeons & Dragons, translating to computer games mm. when you're a dungeon master you you know you plot out your story you got your ideas of how it's going to go you start to lead your characters and your players and the players just do what they want to and they just go in all different ways a good dungeon master understands and allows the players to do what they will you know and go with them yeah because Dungeon and Dragons is about storytelling, collaborative storytelling, telling where all of the players are part of the story. It's not an us versus them like it becomes in in computer games of the the uh, designer trying to make something 
incredibly tough for the players, you know, because they're kind of in an antagonistic thing. Ha ha, you can't solve this problem. That's not our theory of game development. We want the players to be part of the story. And so our games always have come from that point of view. And we try to allow the player to do what the player wants rather than being shoehorned into a story that says, oh, you have to do this or else you'll die. You know, basically that was your choice in early adventure games. Do it right or die. And, and of course, there's two reasons for that. One of them was that the, uh, you know, the origin of computer games came out of uh, uh, those uh, video arcade games that were designed to eat quarters and get you to keep feeding in more and more quarters. Uh, and so if the game ran too long, if you had a, uh, you know, an hour long play experience in one quarter, then the game was a failure. Uh, so they needed to, uh, you know, get you to the point where you had to uh, add more quarters within a minute. Uh, uh, but the other reason is challenge, is that people love uh, the sense of mastery and of overcoming uh, things that seem impossible to them at first. And that's kind of the way we're all wired. Even uh, even primates, uh, you know, will you know will uh, abandon food and so on to solve a puzzle if it looks interesting. Uh, and we are wired to want to overcome difficult challenges. Uh, so, in a sense, the fact that the games are uh, you know, so difficult and challenging is because they should be, uh, yeah. that at least at first, uh, but a well-designed game has a, uh, a learning curve and a ramp up to where it becomes easier once you, once you get it. Uh, I guess the third reason, of course, in uh, computer games, just that thing we talked about before, the extreme limitations of memory and amount of what you could fit in floppy disks and what you can fit in memory uh, is that, the, you know, a computer game cannot handle anything a player might try to do. So it, it needs to channel players to some extent uh, to make a reasonable story experience. Yeah. Unless it's No Man's Sky. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, that was me being silly. But please, uh, that's where we are now because everyone's like gone off to strange and wonderful things because, you know, machines have become, the computers have become what they've become. But my next question for you is somewhat... It can be difficult to answer for some guests. Depends. But I'll, re I'll read it out and then I'll let you, you know, best of luck with it. So here it is. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Hmm. Well, the, the obvious one was we were making Sierra games, which was Sierra was the big adventure game company. There was nobody else making it, you know, graphic adventure games like Sierra. And all of a sudden, LucasArts came on the stage and uh, Monkey Island came out. Yeah, Secret of Monkey Island, Ron Gilbert, absolutely. Uh, uh, and it's interesting because, you know, now when I look at the game, I, I see a lot of names associated with it, uh, Tim Schafer and uh, Noah Falstein and so on. But we always thought of Ron Gilbert as the Monkey Island guy. And partially because he taught us a different way of thinking, i.e. his games did not have death. And that was a deliberate choice because with the Sierra games were notorious and not ours necessarily, but the King's Quest games, the Space Quest, make a mistake, do something that we didn't want you to do and you just die. Your character just, you know, uh, has a funny death or does something stupid and suddenly they're dead. And Ron Gilbert gave a lecture at uh, Game Developers Conference one year 
about how his wife was playing this game and she came to the first thing, made a mistake and she, her character was killed and she never picked that game up again because she couldn't take it. She liked that character and then it died and that was it. She lost the will to want to play the game. Mm. Game over. <laughs> game over. And so game death is, you know, a... It's it's a learned thing. You know, we, we learn to accept uh, that our characters, uh, you know, that the game is, is going to end prematurely and that that's just a reason to get back into it. Uh, but, but it breaks... There's a personality type there, yeah. No, it oh. breaks immersion in the game. If you are, it's just like, uh, you know, if you're involved in a game, you do not want to think about the game. You want to think about what you're doing and as if you're part of the game. And if you your character suddenly dies, suddenly all that involvement, all that enthusiasm and that is suddenly drained from you instantly. And so Ron Gilbert's idea of working the game design such that the player didn't die was I to me brilliant? Yeah, and there was, there was also a, a poor design thing that happened back in the day. Oh, there's yeah. um, the biggest one for me is Dead Man Walking. I yes. loathe that. And well, that's that's because game developers designers didn't know what they were doing. No. Yeah. All of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to say about you know because people would say, "Hey, I applied for a job at Sierra, and nobody even answered." And I said, "Well, you're making a fundamental mistake." Uh, which is that anybody in the game industry, is, including me, is actually a professional. Uh, <laughs> and that, in fact, everybody is a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, fans and, uh, you know, and amateurs that get into the industry and then are doing the best they can with complete lack of knowledge. Now, yeah. maybe today there's more actual, you know, education on making games and so on. Hmm. Uh, but it still comes down to if you want to make something really amazing and creative, you're always going to uncharted territory. Yeah, and nobody thought about what a dead man walking was. Our games still have death in them. Why yeah. do we? And I had a debate with Ron Gilbert at uh, at the, an early convention about death in D and D, death in the computer games. Hmm. And while I agree with his thing, I also um, believe that the possibility of death enhances the experience. A player should not die, his character should not die in the game because he made an error or because he chose a different way of doing something that the play, that the computer can't handle. Mm. That's not a reason for killing a character off. Yeah. But if that same player is going to, okay, I, I'm going to kill this creature and then I, I, I'm going to go over there and kill that creature and doesn't heal or doesn't you know, say, oh, that's a big monster. Maybe I shouldn't go without a sword. You know, if they make a a tactical error and their character dies because they did something wrong and they know they did something wrong, then that gives them the, the drive. Oh, I've got to do this again. And I've got to, you know, get in and try that again. That kind of experience gives you more immersion in the game it isn't just a uh a mental game it's a visceral thing when you have death in the game yeah, yeah. so death can be a viable learning experience as one of our uh, tabletop gaming friends used to say oh no not another valuable learning experience <laughs> uh, 
so that you know the idea that uh, you know death is just basically it's uh, it's time to put in another quarter. Uh, you know, it's time to uh, uh, restore the game or restart the game and uh, uh, play again uh, with your newfound knowledge. Uh, you know, it's it's a different way of thinking than. Uh, uh, but when you think about it, you know, even when we're playing, you know, uh, Risk or Monopoly or something, uh, the game ends, somebody loses, uh, and a day or a week later, you come back and you play it again, and there's no real consequences to it. The thing we got, well, I got out of playing Dungeon and Dragons, though, is that nobody loses, and that's my theory of uh, computer game designers. You're no, you can't lose a computer game that I designed. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> your character might die off, but you know why he died off. You know how to avoid that situation, and you can go back in and continue to play. And um, it's all about. Uh, overcoming these obstacles and getting better. And it's that immersion of the adrenaline that you get from playing a game where your your life or death situation, your character could die, that that brings it to the other level for and, me. And uh, actually, our most uh, recent uh, game is out, Hero You Road to Redemption, which, uh, by the way, just came out for the Nintendo Switch. It did indeed. Uh, and it's also on uh, PC and Mac and uh, Windows and Mac and Linux. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Hero U, we concentrated. There are very few ways to have your character die or lose in the game. And most of them are concentrated in the opening scene of the game. Yes. Uh, and, and that room is just packed, chock full of <coughs> uh, puns and bad jokes. Uh, and there are several ways uh, that you can basically lose the game in the opening room. And the idea there is that there's no real consequences to losing at the beginning. Once you get into the game, if you're defeated in combat, you don't die. Uh, uh, as one of your classmates uh, comes into the dungeon and rescues you and takes you back to the infirmary. Uh, and we actually keep a uh, count of the, <clears throat> the number of times that happens and... Uh, based on the area of the game, which of your classmates was the uh, greatest hero of uh, rescuing the most you know, the most times. Uh, and you get a little statistic on that at the end. But uh, but the game doesn't end. Uh, it just continues from there and says, uh, oh, well, you know, you should be a little more careful next time, but we'll, we'll get you right patched up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so yeah. we have adopted a lot of uh, Ron Gilbert's philosophy, mm. and Ron has adopted a bit of Lori's. Yeah. Uh, because his most recent games have permadeath as a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can also just say, well, look, look at Dark Souls. Oh, yeah, there you go. Which is a game that's anchored around teaching players that death is not the end because you are resurrected and indeed celebrates like you have died. It's like, yeah, again, for the like, 20, yeah. 80th time. Because the game is designed around the concept of you need to understand that you're not an all-conquering. You're a very good fighter. But there's better ones out there. You need to deal with it, and that's how that's anchored. And people—that's why they're drawn to it because it's basically you can defeat it, but you need to understand the, the premise. And once you understand yeah. the premise, and a lot of people push back against it. But you know, yeah. So in Rogue to Redemption, your character is a rogue. Yeah. Uh, he is—he is not a mighty warrior, uh, and uh, he doesn't have uh, you know uh, plate uh, armor, and he's not. Uh, Carrying a big honking uh, great sword, mm -hmm. uh, he's not a wizard with powerful uh, spells, but instead he has a toolkit of, you know, stealth and being able to disarm traps and stuff like that. And so you need to play as a rogue, and you know we give you a fair amount of uh, leeway in that. But 
if you go racing into, uh, you know, as Lori says, fight a monster and then go and fight the next monster without uh, resting or healing up or, uh, you know, uh, or putting out traps to, uh, you know, keep three things from attacking you at once and so on, you're going to, you're going to lose. You're going to, your character will go, go to the infirmary. Mm. Uh, so you need to actually learn, okay, if I am a rogue, then I should play as a rogue. And how do I do that? How do I make that work? And to bring that back to uh, uh, Ron Gilbert and uh, Monkey Island, our games prior to that, our whole Quest for Glory series was about the player as an avatar, that the player puts his character, the character has no name in the game. The player has to put in the name and the player has to... Uh, you know, has no dialogue in the entire game or a couple lines here and there, maybe, because we let the player, you know, uh, think for himself, what did he actually say that this character is uh, interacting to? There's a lot of uh, interaction with other characters, but it's mostly like ask about something. And so we never put words in the player's mouth. So uh, that kind of thing... Uh, I wanted the player to feel like really they're in this game. That's you sitting there going around the world. Uh, but Monkey Island, you know, I really felt like the character of Guybrush Threepwood was an engaging character, even though he was, you know, kind of stupid and he was, you know, uh, uh, didn't always do what I wanted him to do. And, but, was, and wasn't even always nice. And wasn't even nice at times. So therefore, I was more willing with Rogue to Redemption to go from the point of view of a character, and in this case, our roguish main character, Sean O'Connor, and give the player the options of how to play the character, whether they wanted to be a good character and a basically a, a you know a person who genuinely would like to become a hero, or they want to be a you know a you know, a, a kind of scummy character and date all the girls in the game and, and then, you know, uh, basically not be friends with anybody, betray them behind their back. I gave the player the chance to direct how they wanted Sean to be, but Sean in himself had a voice and had his own distinct way of talking and what he was doing in the game. And that basically came down to seeing how Monkey Island actually pulled that off in the first place. And, of course, his voice was largely wisecracking and uh, making jokes about everything. And uh, that's that's kind of the way that I used to approach the world. Maybe I still do. Uh, yeah, but it's the idea of that... Uh, uh, we wanted to have the uh, you know the very serious storyline that's going on here, and there's some really dark things uh, going on uh, you know beneath the surface at the uh, Hero University. Um, but uh, Sean survives the you know the stress and tension of that, as we hope the player will by making jokes about it. And jokes are abound. But before we go into that, let's just ask one final question for the first half of the show. This is my, f- my favorite question because I like to know how developers are distracting themselves from the game they've made or are making. And that is, what are you playing right now? Well, we're both addicted to the game that you're not allowed to mention, World of Warcraft. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm worse, but we're both pretty bad. Uh, and when we're not doing that, I play a lot of uh, Bridge, Contract Bridge. Uh, and uh, it's actually been kind of, uh, COVID-19 has kind of been kind of convenient for me because... I have a great excuse to uh, play uh, online uh, bridge games. Hmm. Uh, 
yeah, because it was always hard to get out to a, to a clubhouse to play or a tournament. Right. Um, right. Um, what else do we play? We've played a number of uh, the uh, India India Adventure games. Uh, Heroine's Quest is a uh, free game. Herald of Ragnarok, uh, uh, Unavowed by uh, Dave Gilbert, is uh, uh, pretty intense. And actually, I only played it for a few minutes before it was too horrific for me, and I put it down. But then I came back to it, and I really enjoy that game. Uh, uh, there is a uh, game that was inspired by uh, Quest for Glory um, that is Western. called uh, Quest for Infamy. Uh, and that, I, we were really surprised because that was a game that, you know, we thought of as, you know, this is a fan effort game and so on. Uh, and it's not. It is a very professional uh, game uh, with uh, really interesting characters and story and uh, well-balanced play. So we found ourselves really enjoying Quest for Mind you, we're not really strong adventure game players. We're doing these, uh, we're playing these games uh, primarily because we do a, a live stream and then yeah, we'll so play we, it with our fans. About, about every other week, uh, we get on Twitch, and uh, we have uh, the uh, twitch.tv slash trendsolargames uh, channel. And uh, every other Saturday at, uh, um, what is it, about, uh, it's about, I think, 9 o'clock in uh, the UK. Uh, but uh, 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time in the U.S., uh, uh, we spend a couple hours talking about games, doing the, doing the sort of thing we're doing here, and, and uh, playing contests with people and so on. Yeah, and playing games like adventure games and that, so that we get to uh, see what other people have done with the genre. Yeah. Other than that, WoW is uh, all-encompassing and all-dominating, doesn't leave time for anything else. And we have been playing WoW since the beginning. Wow. You know, so. well, but yes, I, I, was a, uh, I was in a raiding group as I was the lead healer. Uh, that's always mm -hmm. a thankless, thankless job. Oh, God, uh, no, it's, thank you. It's just... Uh, why do you heal me? How about you not getting attacked? How about that? <laughs> yes. I I always come I've I've always come in a little bit late into groups, and so uh, uh, we didn't even know what Molten Core was uh, when we first started out. I think it had just opened uh, right. when we started playing the game, or maybe even before that. Uh, you know, I, we had no idea what rating was, and so on. We so we played our uh, you know level one to fifteen characters, uh, one to twenty character endlessly before we finally managed to level up and find the rest of the game. Uh, and uh, so when I did finally get into a raiding group for Blackwing Lair, uh, uh, I was kind of the also run. I was I was also playing a priest healer, uh, but I was pretty bad at it, and I was the one that usually got swapped out uh, if they had uh, 41 players uh, for the 41 uh, for the 40 uh, player no, game. No, not I. Uh, I, was, um, I called it playing whack-a-mole because I had all <laughs> of the people's little green bars, and I was going, click. Yep. Just, I wasn't actually watching yeah. the game. I was watching little green bars. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, it really is whack-a-mole. Uh, we still play, we still play a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons uh, online, but uh, uh, through a Discord, uh, and it's just uh, you know, unfortunately, we feel like that's taking a valuable time away from uh, when we could be uh, uh, doing quests. Uh, so. <laughs> so. Uh, Let's end in the first uh, half, sir. Uh, we're, we're not as close as we could be. <laughs> no, 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 I understand. Um, so I know it's time. Being time poor is such a such a bind, but it's, it's the way we are. But we now move, have to move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into Hero You, Rogue to Redemption.
So. Oh, I know that game. I heard it's really good. It's really great. Okay, yeah. Um, and it works so well on the Switch, but we're going to talk about that later. Uh, before we do. Oh, excellent. Yeah, before we delve into that, though, uh, I need either of you or both of you have a have a go at this. In your own words, what do you believe is Hero You Rogue to Redemption? What is it? Uh, <laughs> it it is uh, our twenty first century interpretation of uh, of what we did with uh, with Quest for Glory. Uh, the idea is that you are. You know, it's a very heavily story-driven game. It's a uh, uh, an immense amount of dialogue, mostly written by Laurie, uh, with a lot of uh, additional jokes uh, thrown in by uh, comedian uh, Josh Mandel, uh, and a tiny bit by me. Uh, but it is a story game uh, that is a uh, a hybrid. It is a role-playing game. It is an adventure game. It is a school simulator. It is a comedy, and it is a drama. Did I leave any out? Probably a few. Uh, so, yeah, we've kind of thrown, uh, 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 you know, all the tropes into one box, uh, and it is the, uh, uh, you play as, uh, Sean O'Connor, a young man who, uh, uh, you know, grew up in a single household. You've, uh, your father has been missing since you were a baby, uh, and you are trying to make your way in the world and you get caught at your very first thieving job, trying to get the thieves guild. Uh, and get invited to uh, come to uh, Hero University. And throughout the game, you're... Uh, oh, that's the other part. It's a mystery game because you are solving mysteries about what is going on in the world, what is going on in the school, and what's going on in your, your own uh, life and your own family background. Because why did anyone even care about you enough to give you that opportunity? Uh, so you're solving all that. Uh, oh, and it's a, a bit of a dating simulator because there's some romance stuff going on. We have... Uh, uh, both male and female characters you can romance in the game, uh, uh, but essentially you're uh, you know you're being a student taking uh, classes, a bit like uh, Persona. Uh, at night you go down into the uh, dungeons and uh, uh, try to find out, uh, well, make a little money inside and also try to find out what's uh, what's going on with this stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so if I had to boil that down to five or ten words, I would say. Uh, it is a role-playing adventure game in which you play a rogue character uh, at the school for heroes. At the school for heroes, and um, yeah. and jokes, puns jokes, galore, puns, puns galore, and also just to be clear, he was going to the thieves guild, not the fools guild, which is evil. If you know your Pratchett, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yes. I mean, rightly so, and also elves are very nasty. Uh, but anyway, um, so I just love like the concept of Mrs. Cake and stuff like that. We could go on, but <laughs> I want to ask you about the cornerstone design. What I believe is anchored around Hero You Rogue to Redemption, and that is character growth. It's all about not just numerical growth, but character as in a person, their, their, their personal journey. Their, it's a very important time in their life. They're relatively young. They're just finding themselves understanding it gaining self-awareness some people never get that but um you know just understanding where they are in the universe and what what they're you know what what they want to do what they want to make out of it and and, and also how to help others um oh, well there you go so what it really is is it's a uh, coming of age story which is one yeah. of the uh, uh the uh, most, most common uh, tropes in uh, literature uh, for thousands of years it, yes. Well, yes it's one of the six stories isn't it uh, it's heroes yes it really. is 
is, yes. And it is. This is very much that. The player starts out as Sean O'Connor, and Sean is trying to become a thief. He's trying to get, you know, in good with the chief thief of a, of a guild. And to do that, he's going to break into this first opening scene, this house, mm. and try to find something that he's sent to find, this lucky coin. And in the course of that, as he explores the house, uh, he, you know, he eventually does not actually, he finds the coin by solving puzzles because it's a computer game. And when he gets that coin and leaves the place, he gets caught and his, he has a choice, go to jail or go to the school. And so that choice sends him to the, to the school of her heroes. And, and it's a real choice for the player. You can, uh, you can choose to run away. Uh, even though uh, a the mysterious stranger tells you you'll surely be caught by the guards, and in fact you get caught, and it's game over. But that's a that's a valid ending. Okay, that's, that's a valid way ending. to play the game. Yeah, that's an ending. Uh, it's not one I chose, <laughs> but I just love the fact that you really embrace this. You never you, you, from from the get go. You say, no, this is about Sean's growth. This game you're playing, Hero, you Rogue to Redemption, is about his. Growth. It means rogue to redemption. That's the point. It's you know, um, it's it, it, not quite road to Damascus. You know what I mean. But it's not. It's about their journey. And and then I just love the fact that you've designed a game. And I know you've done it before, but I want to talk about it now because many people, like I said, may not be familiar with your your old, your, your previous works. I do want to throw throw in a few words. Uh, yeah, uh, just sure, that. Sure. Uh, even when you are in that opening room in the game, mm. uh, and you're getting all these, uh, and that's the place that I wrote the most jokes for. Yes, uh, that you're getting all this uh, silliness, and you know, and you're uh, you're doing this thing of trying to uh, you know find the uh, the lucky coin that you've been sent there to get. Uh, there are clues that we have slipped in, even into that opening room, uh, that come into the mystery of who you are and what's going to happen much later in the game. So we really expect that players will come back and replay this game several times uh, uh, because there's a lot of stuff that you're going to miss uh, or that you will get, and it just you know will kind of go over your head at the moment because it wasn't significant to you. But later on, you'll say, oh, that's why it says that. So we want you to have the feeling that this is a living, breathing world uh, and that there is always more to discover. Hmm. And I just think, you know, your your the, uh, my question was going to be, and I wrote it down here. But reflection, it's now morphed into something else. But you know, why <laughs> did you, why did you adopt that approach of focusing so heavily on the character development? But sort of, you've answered, you speak for itself because that's the story. That's that's the point, Chris. That's the point. So uh, I feel a bit silly writing that question now. But I just wanted to at least illustrate to the listener that this is what. Hero, you rogue to redemption. It's about it's about the growth of someone, and that's quite special. Um, now, yeah, okay. So, uh, so let me just answer that though. Uh, yes. uh, Laurie mentioned, you know, we mentioned Secret of Monkey Island. Mm -hmm. uh, so, the reason that you are now no longer playing as an anonymous hero, but you are playing as Sean O'Connor, a young man who has a backstory that is very important to the game, is that uh, it's about storytelling, and it allowed Laurie to craft. Uh, a story that uh, all that stuff's important to. Uh, so by having a particular character identity in there, uh, she was able to write, uh, you know, a, a much more meaningful 
dialogue and so on that has to do with who Sean is that is much harder to do if you're doing it for a generic unknown hero. Yes, absolutely. Now, heroes, they do fight sometimes, sadly. Uh, because, you know, sometimes violence is their only recourse because wit and snarky comments and they get you so far. Unless you're in Monkey Island. <laughs> and then you do witty rapportee for your uh, rapier battles, yes. Yes, the sword battles. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm rubber, you are glue. Yes, we, we <laughs> never understood that until you actually got the punchline. It was great. But combat in Hero U, Rogue to Redemption, does... It's interesting. It's turn-based, let's be clear. But it uses both the concept of space, I think, very well, and stealth, of course, because you are a rogue after all. Can you talk us through how it was designed? Basically, we came in with the thought from the beginning that this was not going to be a pokey-pokey-pokey monster-dead kind of game. It's really about thinking about how to solve a problem, how to defeat the monster, not by, you know, uh, just clicking some keys, but thinking about it as a problem to solve. So you have a, an area where the monster is, you have tools like traps or stealth to move into positions and, and put traps. And, and so we wanted it to be the thinking man's combat system. Uh, so that's kind of my uh, phrase on what is the big difference between an adventure game and a role-playing game is adventure games have puzzles that you need to solve, and the designer of the game has come up with a solution for that puzzle, and you have to read the designer's mind and find, you know, or just find the, the hard-to-find objects that will let you solve that puzzle. Uh, a role-playing game and our games present problems. You have things, obstacles in your way that you need to get past. And we've given you a lot of different tools. Uh, we've given you combat abilities and uh, you know, lockpick set and traps and things. And you need to, uh, from your available tools, find uh, some that will get you past the problem. And we as designers do not tell you which tools to use. We give you the tools, we set some problems, and it's up to you as a player to decide how you want to uh, get past them. Very well put. And I, I just love the fact that you actually made it not a hack and slash thing. If you want to play that, there's plenty of games. There's Diablo 4 coming, for example. If you want that, that's fine. But for, for this, this is really embracing and, and infusing the act of fighting things is also a reflection on the rest of the game rather than this strange, jarring thing that makes it, that sets it apart. You go, no, this, this all in, just make it part of the experience. And uh, I just really appreciated that. That's why I wanted you to talk about it. So thank you. You can play Hero You Rogue Redemption as a hack and slash game. It is absolutely mm. doable. Mm. Uh, and what, But what you have to do is you have to prepare to be good at hack and slash, which yes. means that every single day you need to go to the, uh, uh, the, the practice room and do weight training. You need to do uh, combat dummy training. Uh, you need to focus on your physical skills. You need to obtain the uh, best uh, weapons and armor you can find. Uh, you need to get a whole lot of healing potions because your character is fragile and you're going to take a lot of damage if you take the hack and slash approach. But you absolutely can play the game that way. On the other hand, you can get through the entire game without killing anything. True. And that is, uh, if you want a challenge, that's the hardest way to play the game. 
Yep, pacifist yeah. route. I do like the game. Uh, the pacifist yeah. route. Yeah, it isn't easy. No, because and and you're going to miss some things because you just can't do everything by pacifism. So you'll miss some parts of the story or miss parts of the game because uh, there are areas of the game that that are very dangerous and you probably can't go there. But you will be able to play through the game and get to the end and have a satisfying ending, hopefully satisfying ending just by being a pacifist. It's just a different ending. It's a different story if that's the route you want to play. I, I had an epiphany uh, during the design of this game. Uh, the light bulb turned on, and I said, well, why is it that you constantly need to get better and better equipment and weapons and so on? And I said, okay, well, that makes you better at combat. Uh, well, you know, what is what is being better at combat to? Oh, well, that allows you to defeat monsters so you can get more treasure. Well, what's the treasure good for? Well, the treasure gives you better weapons and armor. And I suddenly realized that there's this, this cycle uh, that can be broken, uh, that you don't, if you are a player who is interested in romance and in, uh, you know, uh, improving your skills and going to classes and so on, and you couldn't care less about combat, well, you're not going to fight the toughest monsters, and so you don't need the best armor and weapons, and therefore you don't need to uh, constantly be fighting the lesser battles uh, to get that stuff. So I said, we have a, you know, we can have an entirely optional uh, combat path here, because the whole cycle that they have in uh, uh, games like that World of Warcraft game, uh, you know, it's all about constantly trying to improve so you can face tougher challenges. Uh, but if you don't care about combat, you don't have to do any of that. You can sneak around all the monsters, avoid every fight, uh, don't bother collecting the treasure because you don't need it. Uh, and so the idea that, yeah, that was that was valid was uh, to me, you know, that was the, the light bulb that, uh, let me say that, yes, there is a way to do this game without having combat. Yeah. Which leads me on to my, my, my next question, really, because um, a lot of things you've been describing and talking so far in this show has been the past meeting the present, because, like you said, you've been at this for quite some time. And you've, you know, the hero you wrote to redemption has a legacy to it, which you've admitted to. It's a legacy for older games from the 1980s and the stroke 90s. And design decisions back then seemed sensible, but now would go, no, don't do that. <laughs> um, well, how have you found merging the old with the new? Or do you believe it's like that? Is it wrong to model it that way? I, I think that basically Lori goes in and has a story she wants to tell. Mm. And we try to, uh, you know, get the team and the, uh, the artists and the programmers and so on, you know, we don't, we don't build most of this stuff ourselves, uh, uh, these days. And, you know, when we did uh, heroes quest, we had a team of about, uh, uh, you know, six or eight people as the principal developers for it. And by the time we were up to quest for glory five, we had a team of hundred, 150, something like that. Uh, but we went back to a relatively small team. We had about a dozen people at any given time, but that's still, you know, just two of us and 10 other people working on it. Uh, so fundamentally, Lori has, you know, story and adventure she wants to make. And then we say, okay, how do, you know, how do we want this to feel to players? And we try to do it. Uh, I'm kind of rambling here. Yeah, kind of lost the question. Yeah. It's just really, it's just really like thinking about 
the design aspects of the original like Quest for Glory games and how those still work to this day whereas new design methods and game design innovations that are now you know taken as red as like, this is how you do things is how have you found the merging of the two worlds from old and new if you found oh, okay it? yeah yeah go ahead well, when we were making our first games, and that was a series of five games that we wound up making, each game was uh, a different version. It was entirely new. We basically learned from our mistakes of one game and went on to make the next game, you know, based on, you know, uh, working around what we had learned. So each time we were reinventing what we were doing. And so, therefore, the road to redemption really is the modern version, the things we have learned from what we have done in the past. And so all of the games we played in between game number five and road to redemption, those lessons that we learned from what we liked and what we thought were good game design have been incorporated into road redemption too. So it, it is definitely a, a continuation of what we have done in the past but it's just an innovative, you know, uh, a, a improvement on everything because you do make mistakes. You do uh, things that weren't, you know, the player didn't want to do, and you always had to make compromises. and And now I think this is a really good um, time to making games. Yeah, yeah. well, it is because yeah. it now we can do what we wanted with it. And we could improve upon all the mistakes we've done in the past or, and make it a better experience for players. And, and as far as the rest of the gaming world is concerned, uh, you know, they've learned some lessons from what we were doing. So uh, back in the uh, uh, late 80s and uh, early 90s, you know, it was just nobody had really thought about bringing together role playing and adventure games or, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, shooter games, didn't, you know, came in in the late mid 90s. Uh, and since then, uh, companies are much uh, much more about the same kind of hybridization that we did. So if you play a game like, uh, uh, oh, God, I'm, I'm just trying to think, like uh, Assassin's Creed is probably a good example. A game like that, you've got story, you've got uh, combat, uh, you have uh, you know stealth obviously coming in, uh, and they really are bringing together things in the same way that... Uh, uh, that we first started doing in the early 90s. Uh, so the industry has caught up to what we're doing then. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But we're also trying not to make a Me Too game. We want to do something that is uniquely uh, us, and that's really about telling a particular type of story. Yeah. But in a sense, you know, we're all going back to Tolkien and Dungeons and & Dragons and Dungeon Master and all those games because those, uh, you know, were formative influences for us. They were fun. That's the key. Yeah. We're doing what we thought was fun. Yeah, yeah, and there's all there's definitely some Discworld in there as well. Can't can't uh -huh. that. Oh yeah. Uh, sorry to, to bang that drum again, but uh, the great <laughs> wherever the great Aturian is going, no one really knows. But uh, indeed, what gender it is. But um, last question, last question, and thanks for for such a wonderful answer because you're right. Everything has gone full circle, and you're benefiting from the last thirty, forty years of uh, game design development and recognizing that as a skill whereas at the time when you started it wasn't even a thing um 
but yeah. um, benefiting from it and competing against, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> the way things are. But um, I want to talk about the world that Sean's in, and indeed what the players in. And there's something that I've discovered recently, and I know it's something that uh, um, other games have, like I said, have delved into. The concept of the player isn't actually the center of the universe. Other players, other NPC characters, also do missions and go off and do things on their own because they've got their own story to tell. And you may not be part of that, but, you know, the tree's still going to fall in the forest and make a noise. Um, why did you adopt that? Why is that in there? Why? I mean, I, I think it's wonderful, but you have a sense that the other people in it have their own goals and are more three-dimensional than many other games rather than some vendor standing on a street corner uh, selling you a hot dog after you just mowed someone down with a car. <laughs> um, what, what, why have you done that? Could you talk us through your decision-making on making other NPCs just more NPC-like? More important, yes. Well, to me, you know, when I'm developing a game, all of these characters have their own personalities. And more important, in this game, uh, we had the, the luxury of giving each character their own story. Each of the main characters that that Sean's interacting with in class is, you know, is a character in themselves. They have a personality, they have an agenda, and they have their own story to tell. And they're doing the things, they have their own timeline of what they're doing over the course of the game. And it's affected by what the player does with them or to them. But it is not, they're still going to generally try to get their goal. And so each character has their own growth growth line of, of where they want to go and what they're trying to do. It's to try to give this game a, a verisimilitude of real life that these characters are real, living, breathing characters. And in fact, you come in conflict with some of them because if you didn't take action over the course of a set period of time, they're doing something to do the same thing. They might get to solve the problem before you do. Uh, there's another reason for it, which is uh, pacing and trying to make a, you know, a strong story that, uh, that flows well. Uh, and, you know, uh, kind of the, uh, the Holy grail that we're always looking for is to have completely event driven games where what you do uh, and maybe what the NPCs uh, uh, do uh, determines what the flow of the game is. But in practice, that's really hard to pull off. Uh, so when Laurie was plotting out this game and working through some of these events, we kept saying, well, what happens if a player does something out of order? Or what happens if you get into this area before you have the skills you need that you, uh, to get there? And we eventually ended up uh, going with much more of a calendar. Uh, the game takes place over the course of 50 days, and there are certain things that are going to happen on certain days of the game, regardless of what you've done. Uh, so part of the in-game you know, uh, excuse we did for this was we said that basically if the player just fools around and doesn't try to solve any of the problems, uh, that he's got classmates that are all vying for the Rogue of the Year award, uh, and uh, every one of them is, is doing their own thing. And if the player does not solve a problem, somebody else is going to solve it because these are all really you know, competent, good uh, students that you're, uh, you're partnered with. Uh, so that allowed us to keep the pacing and say that basically, uh, you know, there's 
uh, you know, a theft from the school that's being blamed on the uh, rogue class on a certain day, and that three days later, if uh, you know, if that uh, thief hasn't found, uh, you know, the the whole class is going to shut down. Well, what if the player decides to screw around for three days? Uh, so we made it so if, if you do, somebody else uh, catches the thief. Uh, so that kept the pacing going as well as uh, uh, give, you know giving the characters uh, some independent life and making them interesting. Plus, it gives the player uh, a chance to do what they want to do. You know, they won't necessarily want to go out and, and try to solve this mystery. Uh, we give them the option. And in this case, the game doesn't suddenly end because the player didn't choose to do it. The game goes on, the story goes on and continues. And it's giving actually the player more freedom to make choices that he isn't stuck. He, the world, fate of the world doesn't actually entirely rest on Sean's shoulders exactly. or the player's shoulders. Yeah. And I, I just love to, I mean, you alluded to it earlier, and it's been great this conversation that uh, you said about how in D&D, the best games of that, they're not, you're not railroaded by the DM. When you go, oh, there's a there's a chap sitting in the corner with with um, with a strange looking mug. But uh, other than that, it's like, oh, we're going to have a chat with him. And then as the DM go, oh no, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, realistically speaking, you are railroaded uh, to some degree in, course, in this and, and the other games you're going because we have a story we're trying to tell, and uh, we don't want to tell a bad story. No. Uh, so to keep it an interesting story, we have to have that. Uh, you know that pacing, the dramatic tension, uh, uh, the uh, you know the denouement ha- has to come in a certain way. But you know we have a lot of uh, hundreds of different, uh, maybe thousands of uh, what we call tags that keep track of every little thing that you do and that uh, and that happens in the game. And then the final outcome takes many of those into account and says, okay. You know, are uh, did you do the things you need to be the rogue of the year? And that you know your classmates will talk about things you did and, uh, you know, good or bad. Uh, and eventually decisions are made and you have a little bit of choice on the way it goes, but basically you're following the story. Yeah. Uh, and that has a lot to do with the fact that, uh, uh, more than quest for glory, we wanted to make sure that, uh, all the way through that, uh, we were telling, you know, a particular story and that it's satisfying. Right. Well, we're at the end now. All good things do come to an end. And it's been wonderful chatting to you both. Hero, you, Rogue to Redemption, which is developed by Transolo Games. Oh, by the way, what's, where's the name of the, sh- uh, the the developer come from? Where, where's your name come from, Transolo? <laughs> well, like we it. got together. We actually founded the company about 1999, just right. after we stopped working for Sierra, uh, with one of our co-workers at Sierra, Bob Heitman. Right. Uh, and we brainstormed names for a company, and Bob came up with the name Transolar, uh, and I just thought it had a nice ring to it, but most yeah. importantly, the URL was available. Oh, there you go. Yes. There it is. Uh-huh. That's it. Uh, so we had uh, we had easily probably a dozen more names that might have been more appropriate for what we're doing, but that was one that sounded interesting. Uh, and we really ought to be doing space games rather than fantasy, you know, medieval yeah, fantasy. I mean, it, it does sound a bit traveler-like, doesn't it? It sounds like a mm-hmm. traveler 
corporation, yeah. doesn't it? Really, it's, I'm speaking to someone who has played Traveller, so like some authority. <laughs> so yeah, I know I suffered that, and uh, no, my character did not die when I was making it. Stop it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lovely thing. But yeah, Transola, I like it. It's, it sounds like a it's like a strange corporation from the future. It's good, uh, but it's uh, yeah. <laughs> So, so we can do another entire session sometime talking about the, uh, you know, the internals of the games and what what we decided to do as far as uh, uh, why our game is not at all like D and D and stuff like that. How stats and skills work and and yeah. what the development teams do and stuff. But that's that's an entirely different session. It <laughs> is. I mean, there's so much I could delve into, but I really wanted to focus on the experience of the player, which is why I went through this tranche. You're right. I could have gone that way. I could have gone for the more. <laughs> I mean, and stats and, and, and blocks and stuff, but I believe there are means to an end in some regards. I just wanted to, to represent and see why the, the game, the game being Hero You, Rogue to Redemption, being what it is, you know, what, what, what the experience and how, that, how that's represented to, to the player and why it's like the way it is. That's really where I wanted to go. But, like I said, it's out now on Steam uh, for Windows PC, Mac OS and Linux. But it's also now also available on Nintendo Switch. Now, it's the platform I played it on. Uh, and I played it both um, docked and undocked. I do like undocked. I do like... It's done a fantastic job of encapsulating quite a big experience into such a small screen. So, thanks for that. It's really good. Uh, I really enjoyed playing it on... on uh, but also, like, on, on the big screens, too. That's lovely. Playing on the massive screen. It's great. So... Corey and Laurie, you've been wonderful guests. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, you're more than welcome to come back because we do have return guests. We've had a lot of return guests. In fact, you know, we, uh, as I said, with the virtual green room, we're talking about uh, Inkle. They've been on loads of times. Um, <laughs> so, uh, again, you're, you're, you're pushing against an open door. As a friend of and uh, we've uh, we've just started using uh, Inco on uh, our uh, latest uh, project, our upcoming project, Summer oh, Days at Hero U. Yes, uh, that comes in two parts: Tilly's Tale and Afeo's Adventure. Right. Uh, that are uh, uh, two different storylines taking place: one in the summer before and one in the summer after Hero mm-hmm. U Rogue Redemption. Uh, and they're more of a uh, storybook type of game. That's a uh, interactive novel, mm. uh, and they are still adventure games, uh, but. Uh, uh, We've lightened up the, the structure of it. We've uh, distilled the game into its essence. Yeah, so it is, um, you know, the story is heavily, intensely driving that and less so of, uh, you know, the challenge. There's you know, there's no combat, very little combat uh, and so on. But it's all about the story and the characters. Uh, okay. So that's our new stuff that's uh, coming out uh, hopefully later this year. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. But like I said, you're more than welcome to come back and chat about that and other things. But uh, until then, thank you very, very much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We enjoyed it. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, canonrince.com.
Thank you.